Good morning, everybody. Happy Mondays and welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's online political editor, Dan Bloom. Morning, Dan. Morning. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to open a window and yell at clouds. I am sure there are lots of viewers this morning, quote unquote, so that means there must be at least three of you. Now, so what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the horrifying massacre of 10 people in upstate New York by a racist teenager who ranted about much of the same rubbish about Rotherham and Sadiq Khan that you can see all over Facebook. Needless to say, if you see it anywhere today, sort it and report it, please. Um, but inside, I'm afraid there's another nightmare for us. Uh, and it's one we all thought was over a long time ago in that Brexit turns out isn't done at all. And in fact, is about to be undone by Boris Johnson himself. So in short, I think I've got this right. The Northern Ireland Protocol is the mechanism by which we're supposed to control the border of Northern Ireland, because that's what Brexit was about. Only we never have because we can't. So instead, we put a pretend border in the Irish Sea, which so upset the unionists in Northern Ireland, they've argued against it ever since and have now thrown all their toys out of the pram and refused to elect a speaker at Stormont, which means no political work is getting done in Northern Ireland at all. Now, the Foreign Office has threatened to tear up the protocol. The EU is refusing to renegotiate it again, quite understandably. They must be brought rigid by now. And now Boris has gone over there today to tell everyone to get back to their desks. So, Dan, is this going to work any better than when he told all of the UK and then all of the civil service to likewise go back to work? Uh, one hopes, though, because so much rests on it. Um peace in Northern Ireland, stability and the good functioning of the government. Uh, the problem for him really is that this is part, the protocol is a kind of 60 odd page addendum to the deal that Boris Johnson himself pushed through with the EU to get Brexit done to make sure that we actually left the EU. Very good from the graphics team there. Um, good timing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what the issue is, is pretty much as you say, is that in order not to have a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. We had to set up one in the Irish Sea um, so that some goods that are travelling within the UK, which is one country, have to have customs checks as if they're going to a foreign country. And obviously that's hugely divisive. What Boris Johnson is looking for now is, it seems not to tear up the entire thing, not to just say the whole thing is bunker, but to say that we're going to override certain parts of it unilaterally. So usually if something's going wrong, you have to go through this joint committee with the EU and everything's agreed through diplomats. But if something's going really, really wrong, if there's serious societal fundamental problems, you can take action under the protocol. It's called Article 16 of the protocol. They're threatening to do either that or something else. And the whole argument will be over whether that's A, legal, uh, and the EU may argue it's not, or even if the EU think it might be legal, they might argue that it's a provocative move, that it's undoing the diplomacy. So the problem is it's not just about whether the Northern Ireland issue can be solved. It's about what the knock-on effects of that are. And the two main criticisms are, A, it could spark a sort of trade war, so the EU could put tariffs on uh, goods coming in from the UK. And B, uh, it could kind of undermine that unity that the EU has had recently uh, against Putin and other issues. So no one's denying that there is things wrong with it and that something has to be done. I think the problem is that some of Boris Johnson's critics are saying, well, he should have known there'd be things wrong with it. 
we were telling him several years ago. Well, it has been some years in the in the making, hasn't it? Now, Jules says, good morning, Jules. Brexit isn't done and never was and never will be. Uh, it's worth remembering, and I try to remind people sometimes, that um, the ballot paper said, do you want the entire United Kingdom to leave or remain in the EU? And the entire United Kingdom could never leave because of Northern Ireland. But it, I do think that most of that referendum campaign that took place on the mainland, everyone forgot there was a land border. They didn't forget in Northern Ireland, of course, which is why they voted to remain, perhaps. Now, one of the things that Boris is promising, like you said, Dan, is that the protocol doesn't need doing all over again, just needs tweaking in a few places. So this is his quote from a piece he's written in the Belfast Telegraph this morning. There is without question a sensible landing spot in which everyone's interests are protected. But Dan, you would have thought that with this huge referendum campaign and then six years of talks and umpteen withdrawal agreements, the PM would have been able to find that sensible landing spot before now, before signing it, before proroguing Parliament, before before making everyone passing into law. He did tell us it was oven ready about three years ago. Why, why did they not figure it out any sooner? Because I think, uh, and... Everyone will disagree on this depending on their view of Brexit, but there was a degree of achieving what was politically possible and what he could kind of get away with politically at the time that the Brexit deal was passed. Um, There was a sense of the public is now fatigued with it. I've got a mandate to get it done. So even if there are some problems we have to iron out later, we will get this done now. And there were some advantages to that. I mean, whatever your view on Brexit, you can't disagree that the whole debate and the clashes over it were completely paralyzing everything else in politics and imagine if this was still going on at full tilt like at full full tilt and we hadn't left while while covid hit you know imagine how things would have gone then you can't it could have gone in about five different directions um i think the problem was i've forgotten your question susan (laughs) why didn't they why didn't they figure this out a bit blimmin sooner i mean the unions were telling them there are various people saying there's going to be a problem with this and they seem to have just ignored it well that's that's kind of the basic reason why they haven't figured it out because they not ignored it but they have glossed over certain areas and said it'll be fine we'll push it back we'll sort it Uh, The reason why they now keep having to push back these grace periods again and again and again, and now they say there are fundamental problems, is that essentially the UK argument is the EU should be a bit more flexible. So, yes, these rules are here, but they shouldn't be implemented quite as harshly as they are. Um, That is an argument that holds a lot of water with a lot of people who say, well, you know, the EU are trying to punish us here. Doesn't hold so much water with people who say, well, The EU have always been sort of punctilious about their rules. They never kind of say, oh, we'll give you a free pass on this or on that. That's what the EU are. They're a bureaucracy. That's why we left, you know. So the idea that they would have kind of um, just given Britain a sort of exceptionalist or a free pass or something on their own rules to help us adjust uh, uh, makes a lot of people a bit sceptical, I think. Yeah. Now, Pauline says, will this cost us more money if there's a trade war? Pauline, yes. I don't think we're going to get to that point, probably, Dan, because we're going to, they're going to do everything they can to not be there. Now, Mike says, isn't this latest threat just a rehash of threats that Johnson and the Brexiters and government have been making for years every time they want a convenient distraction? There is a lot of other stuff going on. Are they, are they, is this confected in some way, Dan? Uh, as someone who writes lots of um, 10 things they s- try to sneak past you today kind of roundups, 
I don't, if, if it's confected, I don't think it's entirely confected, Mike, um, because you've got the whole problem of the local election results, uh, sorry, the Stormont election results, local, um, uh, on May the 5th and the kind of unfolding chaos from that and all the build up to it, where uh, the assembly collapsed in February as well and that kind of thing. So, sorry, power sharing. Um, so I don't think this is a completely confected thing by the government. It's a genuine problem, um, and they're, they're having to try to solve it. In terms of a trade war, um, for a war, both sides have to be taking action and it has to be escalating. Uh, the suggestion has at the moment been that, yes, possibly the EU could sort of put tariffs on our exports to the EU, but the crucial thing is would Britain retaliate and put tariffs on things coming into Britain from the EU and so far, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who has the title Brexit Opportunities Minister, um, has sort of indicated that's unlikely. He says that's politics of the school ground. So there's a whole debate there about, you know, what you believe coming from Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, if you're not a particular fan of his, but that is what he's said so far. So let's hope that that remains the case. No, well, he's got, you know, he's he only really concentrating on Brexit opportunities and he's not even post-its on people's desk around Whitehall asking where they are because you can't send an email. Now, That's Graham a, says... He does a job. <laughs> two jobs, <laughs> leaving silly notes and Brexit opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Graham says, good morning, Graham. Biden won't let him. He's already had a stern warning from the US Senate. So what's on that the Graham's talking about here is that if... The EU and the Northern Ireland Protocol and all this goes horribly wrong. The US have said that they will not sign a trade deal with us. Um, we're many years off that anyway, I think, Dan. And there's certainly some issues with various bits of the US trade deal people will or won't like. But um, is that pressure from the US going to be enough, you think, to make Boris want to be the, the gentle, calming influence who actually resolves it all that he sounds like he wants to be? Um no, because when has it ever in the past? No. Uh, however, I think this is all part of the political pressure. So when I talked about there are two big, big problems that could happen here, um, number one, tariffs, and number two, the diplomatic angle and the undermining the unity. If the US is almost sort of siding with the EU, if you want to put it that way, and saying, you know, Britain is acting irresponsibly here, or if even if the US administration isn't, but many, many prominent senators are, that just adds to the pressure on Boris Johnson to kind of find an amicable solution and not to kind of drive a coach and horses through it. And of course, Biden has been outspoken on this before. Um, he kind of, he responded to an interview or something like, um, I'm Irish in a, in a sort of, uh, in a doorstep interview, didn't mm. he? There'd been noises out of you know, his administration that uh, if they're, going, they're not taking a side, but if they're sort of, sympathies are with one side it's with well what about you know, people of the, of the republic and avoiding the hard border and all the rest of it so it's, uh, it's a really really tricky situation yeah now keith says uh we're out and i would vote the same again i voted out and i would do it again um this is part of the issue i suppose dan is that any any impact we saw from brexit if it was a good impact which keith and people like him would want you're not going to see it because of the pandemic and the war in ukraine and if it is a bad impact which many other people think it, it was again it gets lost in the pandemic financial impact and the war in ukraine and marie says gove said in the lead up to brexit we're sick of listening to the experts 
And now it's coming to hit them hard on the ass. They should have listened to the experts. Unfortunately, Anne-Marie, I think we all end up being experts in Brexit and none of us want to be. This, this is the thing that your two last commentators um, have perfectly fair points. You know, people, a lot of you know, majority of people who voted, voted out. And uh, the people who voted in had those arguments as well. And the, one of the things that was so unpleasant um, about the kind of 2016 to 2020 period was that people had strong views, strong points on both sides, and they were just completely irreconcilable because, yeah, there was grey area in between. But for a lot of people, some people wanted us to essentially cancel Brexit, not make it happen. You know, it was sold on false pretenses and all the rest of it. And the other group said, no, we're a democratic country. We can think for ourselves. We don't want part of the EU bureaucracy and we voted out. And this brings back, even though it's done and, you know, no leading party is, is planning to go back in, not, not Labour nor the Conservatives. Um, it brings back a lot of those divisions now. Yeah, I'd just like to quote Superhands from Peep Show. People voted for Hitler. People buy Coldplay records. You can't trust people necessarily. Now, Justin says, um, does this mean the bills are going to go through the roof? And he's right. He's got a point here. So speaking of the cost of living crisis... Uh, we've got another story now for you, Justin. Labour is talking about bringing a parliamentary vote on a windfall tax to put further pressure on the government. Now, having said that Rishi Sunak, having said he wouldn't do one because it would stop investment by the energy companies and the energy companies then saying, no, it wouldn't. You could do one. It'd be fine. Um, the government has now admitted it is thinking about a windfall tax, but it's still not doing one. Now, they have already moved because of the pressure put on them by the Labour Party. So, Dan, what's what's Labour going to do here? Is it going to work? What can they actually do to force a windfall tax on the government? Uh, Labour's going to put an amendment down to the Queen's speech tomorrow, which is still being debated for an absurdly long time, almost to the end of this week, um, calling on the government to bring in a bill for a windfall tax on oil and gas giants. I mean, they say that BP and Shell alone have made more than 12 billion of profits in the first three months of this year, uh, which is you know, it's just completely crazy. And windfall tax would be a drop in the North Sea, shall we say. Um, will it work? Um, yes, and resoundingly no. Um, <laughs> it won't um, pass. You might not even get any Tories actually voting for it. What you might get is some Tories abstaining. This is all a bit of a guesswork from me and, and a little bit of informed guesswork. But the reason I say that is because it's the Queen's speech. Um, traditionally in, um, in government, you, you don't, if you're the party of government, you do not vote down something on the Queen's speech. You do not vote for amendments to the Queen's speech. And it's very, very rare for something like that to pass. For that reason, we did have some examples, a couple of examples in the uh, Theresa May years, which I haven't got at the top of my head at the moment. But with a sort of nearly 80 majority, much more difficult for that to happen. What it, Labour know that, uh, although they might not say it you know, publicly, um, what the deal is here is that it's to put pressure on Tory MPs because the government has be, and some backbench MPs, prominent people like Mel Stride, and, uh, the chairman of the uh, Treasury Committee, have been moving towards a windfall tax. And Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson, having kind of ruled out a windfall tax, are now saying it could be an idea, it, it, it could be a solution. So there's this slow march towards a U-turn. It's not so much a U-turn as a sort of slow meander in a river that might come round. And it's an Oxbow Lake, right. Oh, God. 
Um, but um, you get the idea. Like, this is just to put political pressure on the government. Um, it's not going to actually pass, but uh, Labour will tell you otherwise because they say it should pass because there should be a windfall tax on these big fat cat giants. Yeah. Now, Mike says it's a reminder that the head of BP, Bernard Looney, what a marvellous name he's got, said, in effect, taxes, we can afford it and it won't affect investment. But there was the one thing I would say, Dan, your analysis of what's going to happen on this is probably better than mine, obviously. But um, they, the same kind of thing was said about the vote to keep the prime minister's parties away from the, the, stand, the parliamentary standards committee. And in the end, the party management within the Conservative Party was so bad they ended up having to let there be a free vote. And Labour had the opportunity to say, well, every Tory that votes to keep Boris safe, we can say you voted for secrecy over Partygate. And therefore, and there were so many abstentions and so on, it did go through. Could they do the same kind of thing here where they say, well, look, right and left think tanks want a windfall tax. Voters left and right want a windfall tax. It would give every family every household rather, £450 back possibly off their off their fuel bills a year, um, which would do an awful lot to mitigate it, far more than the Tories are doing with their loan that we have to pay them back for, for goodness sake. Um, you know, if the, if the Tories don't vote for it, they, you know, the, the, the party can't really make... Is they going to whip them against it? Because if they do... If they, if they vote against a windfall tax, Labour's going to use that and hold it over them at the next election, aren't they? They're going to have to find a way to either abstain or make it go away. You have a very good point. Um, there could be some kind of compromise, some kind of fudge, or even, uh, as sometimes happens, a government amendment to the amendment to say, we will, con we will keep considering all the options, but we don't believe it is right to commit to one right now, uh, which obviously some people would say is not good enough. I just come back to my point that... Um, on the Queen's speech, there are sort of procedural parliamentary reasons why MPs do not uh, vote against the government most of the time if they're part of the government party. And that's because you're essentially, it, it's almost, it's not quite, but it's almost like a vote of confidence. You're saying you're kind of voting down your government's agenda. Now, obviously, that would only be a full-blown vote of confidence if you actually vote down the Queen's speech. This isn't that. This is just an amendment. And Labour will say, you know, there's no harm in an amendment, just pass the bloody amendment. Yeah. Um, so it will put the political pressure on. Um, whether that results in Labour's amendment passing, I'm very, very doubtful. Whether it uh, creates some pressure that could then lead to um, them putting forward a form of words at the, at, in the Commons from the Minister uh, saying we will keep looking at this or something like that, you know, that's a completely different story and that, that sort of thing could happen. Well, anyway, good good headlines for Labour probably and bad headlines for the Tories, no matter which way they try and handle it. So that one's going to be sticky wicked for Boris Johnson. OK, thank you for that, Dan. Um, so get into the questions, everybody. Have you got any big ideas about what could be done about a windfall tax? Do you think they should be doing it? Do you think they shouldn't be doing it? Or how do you feel about Brexit? Is it actually done? Have you changed your mind? Is this, do you want it just over? Um Goodness knows. Do we have to never think about it again? That would be great. Um, but let us know. We'll try and have a wrap up of comments at the end. But first of all, um, there is a bit of good news in the world. It's only just tangentially very slightly good if you sort of squint at it from a distance. But I have managed to find some this morning. And here it is. Ah! 
Now, as I said, it was a bit tricky finding some good news today. Um, but there's a story about a statue of Margaret Thatcher being egged in an act which some would call a gross act of vandalism. Uh, and it might not on the surface be what everyone calls good news. Now, this statue was going to be put up in London, um, but it was instead moved to her hometown of Grantham in Lincolnshire on the grounds that it was less likely to be targeted by left wing mob there, who obviously they've taken again statues recently. Um, but within 20 minutes of it being installed, it went up at 9.34. At 9.55, bloke turns up with half a dozen free range and starts chucking eggs at it and lob them at uh, what is now known as the Bronze Lady. But Dan, I suppose perhaps from the from the government's point of view, this is a bit of good news because after so many years of the culture wars and complaining about statues and cancellations and so on, at, at least they've stopped tearing the statues down and making them go for a swim. I mean, eggs are better, aren't they? You're right. We have gone on a bit of a reach for good news today. But um, <laughs> also, it's only been 24 hours. I mean... <laughs> she could yet do the breaststroke. Is that what you're suggesting? There are some rivers in Grantham. I mean, the, the reason why we're hesitant to call it good news, obviously, is because, you know, there's been a tide of abuse in politics and all the rest of it. On the other hand, it's quite, I mean, it's been quite, in some ways, quite a lighthearted story the last few years because they have been talking about this statue for ages and they've had to put it on a 10-foot plinth to stop people vandalising it. And, um, you know, there were also, I think they've got CCTV and all the rest of it on it. So they are desperately trying. Not well, to he doesn't care. Food. Look, he's out there, out and proud. No, quite. He's um, like, yeah, whatever, I'm chucking an egg at a statue. What are you going to do? And it's you might say, damage, that, you know, there are communities around Grantham that were damaged by those policies in the 1980s. And you might say that you're not throwing an egg at a person. This isn't abuse in politics. This is free speech. But um, it depends on your view of those things, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, we, we'd originally heard about this a couple of days before it was unveiled. We were trying to stand it up and we had one tip off that they were going to try and unveil it in the small hours of the morning. Uh, not unveil it, but put it in place so that this sort of thing didn't happen. It, it seems that didn't come to pass and they did it after sunrise. But, but there we go. Mm. Um, I, it's just uh, we'll see how it goes, won't we? But perhaps it will be their chance to fuel the culture wars a little bit more if something worse happens to the statue if someone tries to do something really horrible to it because the government will then come back and say you know this is uh this is the free speech of the attacking of the statue is actually criminal damage and you know is is uh curtailing the free speech of having the statue up um which is all sorts of mental contortions and all the rest of it but don't forget that the police bill and and the rest of it had brought in kind of long old um, punishments, criminal punishments for defacing statues. It's not just normal normal criminal damage. It's special type of criminal damage now. Oh, and, eggs um, aren't illegal though, are they? Well, no, I think I'm talking about if something, you know, more happens, if people try to spray hack paint it, it yeah. or, or spray paint it, exactly. Um, I think that the argument here is not should, you know, Britain's first female prime minister have a statue somewhere. She's already got a statue in Parliament and all the rest of it. Um, I think the argument from one person I spoke to locally, one councillor, was sure, you know, it's outside the museum in Grantham, which has a lot about Thatcher. Why not put it in the museum with a sort of board explaining why some people liked her and why some people thought that she was, you know, the, the worst prime minister we've had and destroyed communities and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, took took Britain in a rightwards direction. 
And that way you can have the debate alongside the statue. The, the problem that a lot of people have with statues, and I know this isn't ending on the good news, I'm really sorry, I've just gone on a ramble, <laughs> is that they are put up often with very little context and they seem like a sort of PR a, a, a homage to the person, um, which they are, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, with that is the point of them. They're not there to debate whether or not they're right or wrong. And it's yeah. worth bearing in mind that when the when that statue of Edward Coulston went up in Bristol in Victorian times, it was also incredibly unpopular, and it was unpopular for many years, which is why it eventually got went for a swim because the council wouldn't take it down or do anything much about it. Now Pamela says, I don't think the statue will be a tourist hotspot like the local Tory council are hoping for. No, Pamela, I think it's going to be a urinal pretty rapidly. Um, yeah, and I fancy a, a, I could pitch to the news desk a nice day trip to Grantham day out of Westminster go and ask yeah, questions see how many people have peed on it so far I suspect there'll be one or two but if of course if it was in a if it's in a in a museum no one's peeing on it you can't probably you can have some security to so make sure no one's going in there with a can of spray paint like you say you can have the debate and if someone did want to still go in I think there was wasn't there one in Westminster or somewhere once where someone took in a sledgehammer and did a statue of someone they didn't was it Thatcher it was, wasn't it? A statue in Parliament. God, it's a hammer to her. You've, you've um, tested my memory now. I know there's one statue. Um, Googling it. Uh, there's, there's one statue of uh, where the, it, it's still here actually, where the um, spur on the back of his boot is, um, is chipped off because uh, when the suffragettes came into Parliament, they um, uh, essentially chained themselves to the statue and it damaged the statue, which is a a good piece of history about how you know statues take on the uh, times that they're in but I can't remember the one that you're talking about no I can remember something with something hit one with a hammer there's one at the BBC a little while ago hit with a hammer but I can't find the one that I could swear there was someone with a sledgehammer went for something once I think it was a Thatcher one somewhere but I can't recall um but um Mike says if Dan goes to Grantham I'll pay for the eggs Dan won't be throwing any eggs, Mike, how dare you? Um, but interestingly, if we can just have a look at that page again, what I think is really bad, and um, I say this despite the fact that obviously our editor has chosen to use this photograph, the picture of her, the statue being lowered into place there that looks like she's got a noose around her neck and is being hung from a tree, I think is that's probably, that kind of image is probably far worse than in terms of safety of politicians and so on, it's probably far worse than egging a statue. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how else you lower a statue into place. I've no idea, but... No, how, but that's how, the thing. I think that should have been done in darkness. How years of planning went into this and, and that didn't come up. I mean, it's... Yeah, we've, we've still taken, got that picture. So having taken the definition of good news to its absolute logical limit... <laughs> oops, um, uh, yeah. It's good news for the government's culture wars because lefties are no longer throwing statues in the river. There. There you go. That's why it's good news. They're just and price of eggs has gone up so far, as William has said, that they probably they won't be able to afford to throw many eggs for much longer. So let's be honest, we just wanted to talk about the Thatcher statue. We just wanted to talk about Thatcher statue. It was more interesting than anything else than it was in the paper. Um, right, okay. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. I have a feeling that the left-wing mobs are going to be relocating to the East Midlands fairly soon, never mind the fact that they didn't want to put the statue in Westminster. I think they're going to find themselves in Lincolnshire pretty rapid. Now, uh, thank you for joining us, Dan. Thank you, everyone else, for taking part. Thank you for your questions and comments. Um, it's been a pleasure. If you're listening later on podcast, please leave us a review so other people can find us. And we'll see you again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Bye bye.